Holt Perez. Fantastic! What a way to claim your hat trick. Perez picking out. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith, but Thomas charging through the midfield, Thomas, it's up for grabs now! Hey everyone, welcome to the You Are My Arsenal podcast. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Jessino. Well, we won the North London Derby and to be honest, like I couldn't be more ecstatic. Um, this is a game that I have to be honest, I wasn't super confident that we were going to come out with the win, but I think I always believed that the game was going to be close. And I think today was a really good example of like a tangible result that we can look at and see true progress for Arsenal against pretty good opposition um, at home, which is a place that we haven't done super well at. And even with not our maybe best side, um, I, I have nothing to really complain about. I think every single line did what they were supposed to. The front line of Emile Smith-Rowe, um, Lacazette added in there, Saka and Odegaard had such balance. They were really dangerous. And we knew that the goal was coming at some point. Xhaka and Thomas Party were so solid in the midfield. I think that is the performance that we were waiting to see to, I think for anybody that was apprehensive or maybe doubtful of Thomas Party, this was the performance to show you that not only is he a a difference maker in that midfield, but the partnership of him and Jaka is, is actually a really good one and a really balanced one. And the back line, you know, no individual mistakes, completely solid. Gabrielle goal saving clearance off of the line. I cannot, I have nothing to complain about except for the craziness in the beginning before the match even started. And <laughs> if you guys are interested in a rant, you're going to get one from several people. Me first. The commentary before the game for me was atrocious. Um, like I said, I always thought that the game was going to be pretty equal, pretty evenly matched. Yesterday, U.S. commentary was so unbalanced. It was disgusting. I don't expect commentary to be favorable to us, but what I do expect is for them to be realistic and for them to act as though we had absolutely no chance of beating you know, or coping with Son, Kane, and and Bale was just ridiculous considering that they haven't played anybody and their this recent run of form is pretty is really recent. I mean it's like yesterday form. And then to to start off the game today with 
the unfortunate news that Aubameyang is left out of the side, not because of any form or injury, but because of a disciplinary issue. And then for it to further be explained that it was because he was late and this is not the first time for me was like, okay, well, this is justified. Commentary was battering Arteta about this, saying that Arteta was, you know, punishing the, the team for leaving a bombing out of a North London Derby. No, a bombing was hurting his teammates. Everybody needs to have the same rules. We've been, well, not me specifically, but fans have been calling for, you know, equality in these non-negotiables for Arteta. But when it's, it's placed upon the captain, our talisman, before a big game, we're supposed to turn a blind eye. He needs to be on time. And this constant obsession with beating Arteta over the head with things that don't make sense is getting tiring. It's absolutely ridiculous. Even Lee Dixon said that when George Graham first came in, he was very similar in the way that everybody had the exact same rules. And it's important for the younger players like Sokka and Smith Rowe to see that they need to follow the rules. If Aubameyang gets to skirt the rules, then what does that say to them? It's just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm so happy for Arteta that he was justified in his in his treatment of, of Aubameyang and that he got absolutely everything right today. So we don't have to hear just the ridiculous moaning and groaning of the fan base about something that's just doesn't even make sense to be complaining about in the beginning. So now that I've had my little rant, I'd like to introduce the panel for today. Today, I have the big boss here. Michael's here. Hey, Michael. Got to unmute myself. And I got nothing to say now, Jess. You've done it all. I'm good. I'm, I'm you know, we're good to go. I'm sure everybody would like to hear what you have to say on this topic. But, well, know, yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. But here, here, look, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and people were lamented. You know, they lamented about the Ozil situation. But and they were like, well, why is William starting? Why William goes off to Dubai? Um, <clears throat> look, I don't understand the William situation because I thought William and me, you know, should have been punished for that trip. But the reality is, is I think he's for the most part been consistent with how he's treating players. And, and let's 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 not forget the environment he supposedly came into. Whether what you agree about Emery or not, the the players were running the roost, and that's typical for teams that Emery used to manage at. PSG, he got the players are the ones who got him sacked. The players are the ones who got him sacked at Arsenal, right? And and then you go back to Wenger, who was more communal with how the team is run. There's no real hierarchy per se. You know, the players were left to levy out fines and, and, and stuff like that. This is not behavior that's inconsistent with what Arteta wants to do and how he wants to manage. And, and trying to reestablish a culture of accountability for players. For me personally, I have thought that one of the biggest problems we've had for Arsenal for years is a lack of player accountability on the field. I mean, you can go back to those older teams that Dixon played for. They held each other accountable. I mean, you can go up to like that 2006 squad, right up to that point. It's, it's almost like that was the de-embarkation de of where the way a player is. You know, And look, the, the thing about it is, is players aren't club players anymore. They're at a club three, six years, maybe most, right? So there's no loyalty to a club. The loyalty is to themselves, their next paycheck, their next big contract, right? So, but, it, you know, 
I applaud our I, I applaud Arteta for for setting the foot down and saying, look, if you're going to play for this club, there are rules that you're going to play by, and it doesn't matter whether you are the captain or an 18 year old who's trying to bust into the first team. You're going to get held by the same standards, and if you don't deliver on those standards, you're not playing. And you know what? I was all for him up to one. You, you you'd think somebody say, okay, bring him on. Lacazette's not performing. Bring him on. No, I'm all for him sending that message. That says, dude. You're sitting it out. I, I'm, I'm, I have no problem with the way he managed that today. Awesome. That was a perfect rant. And I also want to introduce the other two members of the panel. Drew's here and Luke's here. And I want to just roll straight into what Drew has to say because he has a very passionate opinion on a bombing and what happened before the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sorry for the rant or the drums if you're listening to this. I know Michael's probably a little bit more, you know, polite about it. But for me, I guess, like, first and foremost, um, I'm not surprised. And, and, and for two things, for well, one, when, when Oba signed originally for Arsenal, one of the, the, the biggest criticisms I had as someone who um, watches more German football than, than Premier League, for sure, and someone who... I mean, proactively support Dortmund is that what you see is what you get with Oba. He'll get you goals, but there's always going to be question marks about him off the pitch. And it, I mean, there's, there's a whole paper trail of, of of his actions, you know, that went on there during his spell, particularly in, in, in the final, you know, 12 to 18 months, where he burned a lot of bridges. His behaviors, not turning up for for, for for team meetings, showing up late to training, just feeling like the rules didn't apply to him, and that his his image was more important. Um, we don't know why he turned up late to training. Um, some have, I mean, I don't know about the speculation aspect, of it, but some have noted the fact that his haircut is different. So maybe if he was off, if he was late because he was getting a fresh haircut the morning of, like that, that makes it even worse. But I don't know, so I can't comment on that fact. But the fact is, as captain, if you if you're a repeat offender in terms of showing up late for pre-match meetings the morning of, and you're the captain, and it's happened multiple times, then Arteta's actions are spot on. Um, more often than not, you hold your captain to not only the same standard, but an even higher standard because they're the leadership example that everybody falls upon, right? So, I mean, as um, all of us here have played to, to, to some decent level, and then Michael and I have a lot of coaching experience, and I can only speak for myself that when I played and when I was captain, my coach held me higher than everybody else because I was the example for other people. And then as a coach, I have the same rule, you know, and I, I tell my players the, the first day of preseason, if you show up late to training or you don't show up to training without a, a reason, a legitimate reason, then you're not playing in the next match. I don't care who it is. And the, the fact is, I don't care who it is. It could be my best player. It could be the captain. It could be my one and only goalkeeper. It doesn't matter. You know, and that's how you, you keep people accountable. And if you have to teach teenagers about accountability, which you should be, you, you shouldn't have to teach adults about accountability, especially professional footballers, you know, so especially your captain. So this is why for me, I got frustrated, not only that we signed over in the first place, but the fact that we extended them, but we also made them captains. For me, I'm thankful for when he scores goals, but for me, I, I always look at the other things that I've seen him do time and again elsewhere. And it kind of goes further back before Dortmund, you know, he had problems at Milan, some behavioral issues there. Like he wasn't always, you know, great at that Santan before he moved to Dortmund. So it's, yeah, it's just, so I, I mean, I was happy with the fact that he got benched. I don't think we need Oba to perform. That's the other thing. I think if we, we didn't have Lacazette, I think maybe some fans angst about, you know, what are we going to do now would make sense. But 
I think it was handled completely appropriately. And um, yeah, no, I think that it just has to show that this is what Arteta expects moving forward. So, and quite frankly, I don't care if Oba doesn't like it, you know, and, and what you want to look from him now is, you know, whenever he comes back into the lineup, you want to see him back to performing. If he's going to sit there and, and kind of just talk about the matter and, and for whatever reason, then that kind of shows you the kind of person he actually is. So the spotlight should be on Oba and not Arteta. And my biggest gripe is that people were sitting here and trying to find a reason to blame Arteta for Oba's behavior and that brought down the consequences. And it's just like, you know, and then, then we had, and again, you brought up the commentary we have in the States, Jess, you had Robert Musto on, on our commentary pre-match saying that there's gotta be a way you can punish Oba without having him miss out of the match. No, the point is if you're, that's the that's the best example you can make, right? You have to show that no one's above the law because if you show favoritism and if you show that someone's above the law, then your authority as a manager comes directly into question and then players won't have the same level of respect for you. They Players want each other to be held accountable to the same standard no matter who you are. They won't necessarily say that all the time, but that's what they do want. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of frustrated that this stuff is starting to kind of pop up now with Oba. I was hoping that, like, because we haven't really had issues that we knew of, at least, since he first came to the club. But the fact that this hasn't been the first time kind of almost tells me that it probably hasn't been, it probably happened before Teto was here. You know, and if that's the case, then, you know, where, where, where down the rabbit hole does that take us? You know, maybe that, we don't know how that could have affected things. Another example with other should maybe say factions in the dressing room and how other people felt. So there's like so many ways you can unpack this and so many ways of the onion you can probably get into, but we should probably avoid it, but I'm not trying to go all tinfoil hat, but yeah, for, for, I just, I just feel like I'm tired of like, I'm tired of the fans showing their own favoritism. Like everyone like wants to really appreciate Oba the player. And that's great. But then you can't also say that Arteta has to be a strong manager, but then when he's a strong manager, you shouldn't blame Arteta. <laughs> so yeah, it's, just, it's a weird one for me in terms of reaction, but for me, for base value, I'm happy with how he reacted. I'm happy that we got the three points without Oba. It shows that we don't need him. I think I've been consistent with that opinion across, you know, since we since we brought him in. So, yeah, and there's, I'm trying to I'm trying to not go into full rant. Even though I did kind of go into a full rant anyway, but it's just for me, it's just what's done is done. We handled it correctly, and we move on. And now we have to see how things kind of the lay of the land after that. Now, like how Oba responds, how how the team responds. If our head is consistent, if it happens to another player, that sort of thing. So yeah, we'll have to see him and we'll move on from there. Yeah, I mean, before the before we start recording, uh, Drew was saying that like it's, this could potentially be kind of an echo chamber in terms of opinions, and I think it's it's hard to to look at it for what it is and not have the similar opinion. To be honest, it's it's just down to um, uh, if you're the captain, you're holding everyone else to account. So it's not just the manager; the captain has to be in in the uh, in that hierarchy, like the person that tells people you've got to be here on time, you've got to be given all in training. Like it's a, it's a real, like um, uh, every second of the day kind of job to be a captain. And it's, it's like a lot of responsibility. And today, like, I mean, there's rumors that it was only 15 minutes and, and people kind of using that as like a, a reason for it being like a minor offense. But then they, at the top level on the top days, which this is, if you're on time, then you're already late. You should be there early. You should be there like like with your like. It should be like th this match should consume you for like like a week before the game. Like everything is building. Like when the fixtures are announced, these matches against Spurs are like the ones we you automatically look to when we play in Spurs. 
especially at the Emirates, especially because we lost them last time. Um, you know, I, I saw when uh, it was kind of like first coming out and breaking, I got to sound like uh, emotions will fly because at the end of the day, we're playing a big game. Um, you know, everyone's kind of desperate to win. And um, and Aubameyang kind of like doing this and being dropped from contention so close to the game kind of throws a massive spanner into the works because him coming out changes the team tactically. The focus completely changes. And even though I can understand that, I still think I saw like too much. It was kind of like I saw a lot of why would Arteta drop Aubameyang from the Northland derby for this reason? But really, like what I wanted to see was why would Aubameyang, you know, break match day protocol on this day of all days this day? Um, it was it absolutely kind of like just threw me out for a loop. I just almost I, I kind of skipped angry and went straight into apathetic because I just couldn't understand why they'd let this happen. Because I mean, um, Ornstein uh, said on Twitter quite shortly ago that that Rillian was fined for the Dubai trip, and Aubameyang has previously been fined for being late. So. You know, it feels like this isn't like obviously like a one-time thing. It's not just a, oh, you're late today. I make an example of you. It feels like this is a consistent problem, and he's kind of done it on the day of all days that you just can't do it. Um, and sound like I think Marco made a really good point in the sense that you know we don't really get as many club players anymore. Players are are at a club for a short amount of time. There's a lot more movement. Um, and then when it comes down to you know, um. Like there isn't as much affiliation anymore. Like the the kind of the passion from club to club has changed today. Today is like the same way you know Villian and David Luiz going from Chelsea to Arsenal. Like it felt strange at the time, but it's it's, it's the norm today. But even then, I feel like you should be, especially Aubameyang, who has done like video upon video, like calling this his home, um, uh, like captain of the club, um, uh, like he's really kind of bought into the brand that is Arsenal. For him to kind of fail so spectacularly to to almost do like the bare minimum to be available for an Arsenal versus Spurs game to me is just absolutely perplexing. And I could just, I still can't really get over it. And I think that the lads today have done him a huge favor that they've won the game because, because we've won the game and we can be happy to win the game. It kind of takes a bit of the, the edge off of it and we can kind of analyze it and talk about it more, a lot more balanced. But had we lost the game, then more people were going for Aubameyang and more people were going for Arteta, whoever kind of like falls each either side of the fence. So, I think Arteta did the exact right thing. Um, I think that it's almost a shame that Bang didn't play because um, we saw like the whole kind of uh, like the left hand side for us, like like um, when we were attacking up with with Doherty and Bale defending was there for like the taking. And I think Aubameyang doing his customary pulling into those kind of left sided areas and running on the insides um, would have been like really dangerous to them. But you know, it's his fault, and you can't really. Uh, and we're lucky that. That Lacazette came in, probably not his best game, but he put in a shift and obviously got the winning goal, which is fantastic. Odegaard's taking more responsibility. Uh, you know, we move on from it now, and hopefully, it's uh, it's something that won't happen again. But like you know, I think that it's absolutely right that Aubameyang didn't play today, and almost like the fact that he had to sit on the bench and watch the rest of the players go out and win the game, because I feel like hopefully that sent a message to him. But you know, thirty-two-year-old club captain shouldn't need messages sent to him. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, why? You know, I'm thinking to myself, like, before the game, I'm like, why is a 31, 32-year-old having to be reprimanded about being on time? I mean, that just shows, I mean, the disrespect that he's showing to the club, Arteta, and his teammates, you know? So 
that's just something that has been there with him for a long time. Like Drew has said, this is not the first time, this is not the first club that he's had these types of, you know, issues, you know, but it's just something we're going to have to deal with. But ultimately they, everything pretty much worked out in our favor. When the lineup came out, I was like, okay, this is kind of what I wanted. It wasn't what I expected. I definitely expected William Abamyang, Odegaard, Saka, but I thought that this might be a game for Emil Smith Rowe, Saka, Lacazette. I know that, you know, depending on who you talk to, Lacazette may not have had the best game. But I think what he adds is that quick one two passing that I think we needed to move around those Spurs pieces and find open pockets of space out wide. And that's really where we had a lot of joy. You know, Emil Smith Rowe, to me, he was my man of the match. Um, I know he didn't score any goals and, but I mean, he could have obviously because he hit the, hit the bar, but I think the movement that him and Tierney had on that left-hand side was integral to pretty much everything that we did. And it really just confused the Spurs players so much that they couldn't really get a grip. I was actually shocked that Doggerty didn't come out at like halftime because he was getting roasted on that left-hand side. And, you know, a lot of things actually went right for us and, you know, a lot of people will chalk it up to, you know, Spurs not showing up. But I think when coaches prepare tactically for a game, you have to take into consideration that the tactics that they've implemented and kind of put forth for the game take the other team completely out of it. And so I want to give Arteta credit for that. And maybe Drew or Michael can give me a better idea of what the tactics were. But let's not just chalk it up to Bale and Kane didn't show up. I think the things that Arteta did were reason why they weren't in the game. Do you guys agree? Yeah, well, look, I think that there's a couple things there. First of all, I want to say I think Arteta's tactics today were spot on, especially highlighting that left-hand channel. I think that they were probably – they probably didn't know whether Doherty was going to play there or not. But I think that they – that combination of of Smith Rowe and um, and Tierney down the left, with the help that you're going to get from Odegaard coming in centrally, right? That 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 is creative creative overload, if you will, in, in my estimation. I think that was. I, they, I here's what I think Arteta knew going into this match. I think he knew that Jose doesn't like the press because it leaves his back line vulnerable, right? And so they were going to give us the ball. So the thing about the, that is then, then it behooves you to make sure that you're purposeful with the ball. And I think we were in every facet of the game. You know, I, I thought the progression through the lines was good. We were moving the ball quickly. We, it, I'm seeing technical and technical improvement each week in the quality of the passing. It's still not, I think, where Arteta probably wants it to be. But overall, I think the, the, the technical qualities improve, which makes then the tactics that he's trying to employ even crisper and more dangerous. And I think you can look at the, the, the Leicester match right after the goal. I, I think they knew exactly what they wanted to do, the big switches in play and whatnot. And then the Leeds game, obviously, just the way we dominated play there. And now here, look, we just – Let's their goal. Lamelo's goal is a gorgeous goal, and let's not kid each other. The only reason he tries the Rabona is because he has no right foot. He's not doing it to, to like it's not cheeky. He's he's his only shot is on his right foot. So <clears throat> he 
he's got to do that and, 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 and whatnot. And it's not from any breakdown. You've got to kind of give some respect to that kind of goal. There was no breakdown that led to that goal. It just completely catches everybody aside. But, you know, I think overall just the way he set up the team, whether Alba was the plan out centrally or Lacazette, and maybe Lacazette helps a little bit more with the likes of um, Odegaard in there and Saka. I just think they, we just we were playing high. We were looking to put the ball out wide. I think one of the things I think he I, and I wrote about this. Me and 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 uh, Rasmus Past, who 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 and I spend time breaking down our opponents for the previews. One of the things we we, we suggested that Arteta needs to bypass the midfield in this game, right? Don't look to play primarily centrally through the field because in in um, in uh, Hoiberg they have somebody there that can really break up play, and so if you're trying that. That, that plays right into their hands because if they, if they win that ball centrally, then they're going to look to put the ball over the back line for Kane to run, Kane to run on there, the front three, uh, Kane, Son, and, and, and Bale. Um, but overall, I think we we took you know we took advantage of what he was, what Jose was going to give us. He was going to give us the ball, and sometimes in the past, whether it was Wenger or even Arteta at the early start of the season, it was never purposeful when we had the ball. We weren't looking to make penetrative passes we weren't looking to open up the field um and i think today just the overall i i, I can't speak specifically about outside of attacking that left lane i i i i want to i haven't taken a deeper look at the game <clears throat> for analysis purposes which i'll be doing tonight but i just think overall we were a lot better with the ball in the in the middle and the final third. Middle third was more distribution to the wide channel, but in the final third, we were looking to set people free out wide, then inside. And that and and um, Odegaard's um, equalizer was that kind of goal: get it out wide, beat Doherty out wide, and just have and look. Odegaard's wide open up top gets it in. So I, I think I think today, and and I, I'm going to say this. There are people out there that literally cannot, you know, talking about sticks to beat Arteta with, we won the game. Arteta played that game beautifully. The reality is, is that game should have been over before the second half even begun. You know, even it should have been like a three, nothing game, three, one game. Let's let's give it that before that, before the halftime. Right. And The reality is this, people want to beat Arteta over the head with something because he's not a big-name coach. So when I tweeted out that he got his tactics today spot on, because we dominated that game, except for at the end where you always – look, Tottenham have quality in that squad. They are going to make chances happen. And we did that thing where we shoot ourselves in the foot there with sloppiness, right? But overall, for the majority of that match – we dominated play. We took, we took what they gave us and took it to them. Right? Give the man credit where it's due. I get that you may not like him, but to sit here and say, "Oh, well, what you want to give him credit just because we eked out a win?" We didn't eke out a win. That game should have been long gone and long over if not for the woodwork. Right? I just, I, I, I can't fathom. This is a manager now who has absolutely beaten all the big managers except for Thomas Tuchel, and the only reason. He, reason he hasn't beaten Thomas Tuchel yet is because he hasn't faced him. 
right? So let's just let's let's see what it is. Arsenal are improving, right? You may not want to acknowledge that, and you may think that we suddenly need to be you in your in your small-minded pettiness. You may want to sit there and 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 say improvement only means we're in the top four, challenging for the the Champions League. Well, you you just you cannot at any way, shape, or form acknowledge the fact that we've been so poor for so long. Oh, but we were fifth. We were sixth. Look at look at how we were playing. If we hadn't fired Emery when we did, we were going to end up twelfth or worse. Right. I mean, come on. I get it. I, I, look, there are players that I don't like, but I'm never going to sit here. And, and if they do something like, – I'm not a fan of William. I, I, I just – I think I'm more or less of a fan of the three-year contract we gave him. But the guy's been good. i got to give him that. He's not been poor when he's been on the field these last few games. Just, you know – I don't understand this. I don't understand how you can't give credit where credit is due. I think Michael Arteta, he may not win a title at Arsenal. You know, the money game is stacked against us in that regard. But he is going to, I firmly believe, once he gets the mental side of this game and the right players in that don't check out from here to here or that – try to bend the rules because they think they're special. Once he gets that element out of here and gets players that are completely committed, we will be in the top four. We will be putting pressure on big all the teams that we play. And I think, look, the biggest issue this year was just being consistent, 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 game to game. That's my rant. Like someone needs to get Michael a hug because I feel like he almost popped the blood vessel or two. Like, <laughs> nice thing. Nicely done, Michael. Um, no, there's not. There's not too much more to say. Um, I think for me, my my struggle is, um, and Michael kind of touched on it, and, and I, I was gonna not much, so much elaborate, but just kind of refocus on it. again the fact that um, Arteta has beaten everyone in the top six. You know, again, Bartuko because we haven't played them yet. Uh, Chelsea under his tenure, but. Um, it shows that he's up for being properly prepared to play bigger sides. So now you have to go into the next step is to make sure we're beating the quote-unquote lesser sides. And you have more matches against lesser sides than people who are in the top six, right? So it, it's important for you to, to win the matches that you need to be winning. Um, and then you try your best and, and then you really put your best foot forward in the matches when you're playing teams that are at your level or, or ahead of you, right? So, and then that's how you make try and seek a win. So, for me, that's probably the only the, the biggest criticism this season is probably for me that there was a lot of drop points against that you should be dropping points against, but also this is you know the beginning segment of the process, so we're working out through uh, the teething period, so I'm not too distraught by it. But um, and, and Michael also touched on that again, where it's just weird that fans genuinely think that like good teams aren't going to create chances against you. Like, of course, Spurs always going to create chances, and and. And their best chances, you know, bar um, Lamella's, you know, arguably the goal of the season, that was their only chance up until the last ten to fifteen minutes, right? So we we had we completely shut the door on a side who are actually very good, who have quality all throughout the team, and we, we might have got a little bit lucky that Son got taken off, but um, he didn't look uh, particularly bright before that in the first place. You know, Kane was off of it, 
Bale's off, but that's not necessarily just because they had an off day. They players can also have off days because you got your tactics right. And I don't think that fans give the manager that kind of credit, and they should. You know, you're, you're talking about an attacking duo and Cannon Son that on, on form is probably the best attacking duo in the Premier League. And, and, and it pains me to admit that, but they work so well together. There's nothing wrong with admitting that they are a very good attacking partnership. They understand each other incredibly well on the pitch. There's nothing wrong to admit that, right? So the fact that we kept them both quiet, Bale was anonymous. He didn't help with his case very much, but he was, he was in fact, anonymous. Lucas Moore was probably the, the most dangerous player on the day overall. You know, and Lamella scored a wonderful goal that he's actually kind of scored scored before. He scored that in Champions League. Um, I think it was back four or five, uh, five or six years ago. Uh, I think it was against Atletico Madrid, but I'm not sure. sure. Um, so, yeah, no, I think you have to look at the match for, for what it was. It's it's a big three points against your biggest rival um, when we just need to go from performance to performance, right? So we we, we played well against Olympiacos overall, considering that we, we have a comfortable league going into the second leg. And we build up that performance, and now we just beat our biggest rival. So now we can go with confidence into Olympiacos to, to, to get us into the right mindset to tackle the latter stages of the Europa League. And then we can keep going from competition to competition and bounding back and forth, keeping confidence and keeping level of play high. Anything is possible. You know, I, and, and I keep kind of banging on about it every now and again. I know it's just uh, statistically improbable, but it's not impossible for us to finish in the top seven or top six mathematically this season if we go on a really good run of form in the league for the rest of the season. Considering how many teams keep dropping points, considering the parity that exists in the Premier League, and you have to believe that. Part of the right mentality of the club and and, and then your manager and then the players is believing that you can achieve something. That that makes a really big difference saying, you know what, we're not out of it yet. We have to go match by match, get three points every match, and, and you never know what happens. Like, yeah, you need some help around the table, but you always need help around the table. That's normal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm happy with that. I mean, I agree with Michael that I think people just really have to start giving their tennis some credit now. Uh, you, you don't fluke wins against all the, the big six managers in the same season or since you've been in, at the club for 18 months. That's not a fluke at that point. You know, that's that's down to his preparedness and him really knowing how to attack the, the better teams. And I think you, you could have looked at Spurs and say, he, his plan might not have changed much if it was Aria at right back instead of Doherty because Aria is incredibly rash in his defending. He's not very defensively responsible. This keeps shape very well. Um, he gets pulled out quite often. So we probably would have kept the same, you know, one of the same key instructions on the day, probably was going to be able to to, to, to attack that offense side regardless. It always is, but now more than ever, I think we really wanted to hammer that in. And a lot of the good overlapping and underlapping runs came from that side, particularly um, when Spurs did get a little bit more of the ball. We really wanted to attack that space in behind. So, um, yeah, again, I, I'm happy with how we played. Um, I'm not one to think that we have to go out and smash a rival five or six nil every time because that's just not possible. It's not the nature of how football works. So, um, I don't have I'm, I have very little wrong with how we performed today. I, I think, like Michael said, I think we should have gotten more than two goals. I think we got lucky, unlucky. Hit woodwork twice. You know, um, like I said, maybe left the ball. He probably should have tried to connect with him. But that's okay because uh, maybe you can see where the thought process was. But um, yeah, no, I think I think the result kind of speaks for itself. You know, we kept them incredibly quiet. We looked quite confident for, for most passages of play throughout the 90 minutes. So, yeah, there's not really much more to, I guess, for me to, to dissect from that. I, I just think everything worked really well today. Um, 
And that's a really good sign. You know, again, it speaks to that, that improvement that we've seen since December, since Boxing Day. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. Yeah, the one, one thing I wanted to say is um, not, not only did we dominate the game tactically, but at the same time, it, in my opinion, because of the, the Obama situation, I think we probably went something of like a plan B anyway, because in the past few games we've seen Aubameyang playing centre forwards, I think we've like mentioned it in like previous uh, episodes, you know, uh, the, the left wing kind of like sits a bit closer to centre mids, and I think that's what we've seen Willian and Imos Mifro doing. Um, I think the plan would have been, similar to the FA Cup final, where you see Aubameyang kind of making those outer inside runs against Azpilicueta, I think it would have been the same thing. He'd have make, been making those runs in between Doherty and Sanchez, which would have been, in my opinion, like really, really effective, especially because like Sanchez, I mean, I'm not, I mean, maybe it's just the two, but it just, it feels like he always gives a penalty away in a North London derby because like you were saying, Avoria, he's so, so rash. So, um, Aubameyang's come out, he's had to reshape it because obviously you can't play the same game with Aubameyang up top as you can a black set up top. So, um, Emil Smith-Rowe had to kind of attack pockets a lot more than I think was probably the original plan. He did that so, so well. I think him and Tierney were constantly running into these spaces and were able to kind of play those those byline balls up to them and, and it was creating so much space. It was almost a shame that we couldn't kind of create more from that. Um, but at the same time, you know, Drew, you kind of like um, said a bit to the defense performance, like like Spurs, we've we've against a team that have scored forty seven goals this season. It's the same as Liverpool. It's like joint fourth in the entire league. Um, Harry Kane, sixteen goals. Son, thirteen goals. Bale's got like four goals and two assists in his last three Premier League games. So this is a team that is like there's been scoring a lot of goals all season and is on current scoring form. They've won the last like two or three games in the Premier League before playing us today, and we've kind of. And we've been restricted them to a 0.003 expect goals. And I can't remember, like, obviously, other than the Lemeda goal, I don't think they really got in the box. Um, probably one of their best chances was Harry Kane out on the right wing, putting a ball into the box. Um, uh, Gabriel, who was like my personal man of the match, I think it's the, the best game I've seen from him in an Arsenal shirt, absolutely pocketed Harry Kane. Um, he dominated him physically. He was always one step ahead of him. Um, Harry Kane couldn't really get on the ball to kind of do that, like, you know, the classic Harry Kane thing where he kind of holds off the defender, plays the ball wide, runs into the box. Because every time they were trying to get into his feet, Gabriel was there. He was always touch tight, pressing him, inching in front of him. Um, he really, really, really um, uh, had like, like probably, I think his worst performance I've ever seen in a, in a North London derby. Um and for a player that I think that Gabriel, since coming back after the red cards, has kind of had to really inch his way back into form. And now, like in the last few games, really seeing the the Gabriel we saw right at the start of the season. But yeah, in my opinion, we have to give Arted a huge credit because in previous seasons, when stuff like this happens, like we just fall away, absolutely fall away. We're up against a good team with a lot of attacking talent. Um, and somehow we've been able to make the switch last minute and still dominate the game and still win I mean, like the scoreline doesn't really reflect it, but I think comfortably. And and I still think that I think in the last podcast we said that in a in like a, a cup tie, um, it's always a result above performance. And I think Northland and Derbies are just akin to to a cup tie. If we win one nil because of like a like a lucky goal, then brilliant. I don't care. As long as you win this game, the results mean everything in this. And for us to do it with a dominating performance, I think we still could have created a bit more. But you know, I'm so so happy with the performance today. Yeah, I just I want to just take a moment to wax lyrical on the freaking midfield, the midfield. We had a midfield today and they completely dominated Tottenham's midfield. We've been hearing all season about Hoiberg, Hoiberg. 
where was he? He was nowhere to be found because our midfield dominated them. And I've been waiting for a game, a big game to come around where Thomas Party could show his quality because the last couple games, it was starting to creep in. The narrative amongst the fan base was starting to seep in of maybe it was a waste of money. I'm not quite sure what he does. Did we waste this? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Thomas Party is an elite level midfielder and you saw it today. Yes, he loses the ball every once in a while, but when you take risks, which our midfield tends to not want to do because maybe the quality is not there, you will lose the ball. But some of the things that he did, he had some some really good interceptions and he did a lot of defensive work. He also had some really nice passes. There was a pass that he did in between the lines to Saka and you know Saka tried to turn into the box. He lost control of the ball, but there's just things that he does and he's so classy and it's just things that we've been missing in that midfield for so long. There was um, a clip going around this past week of, of Patrick Vieira. And I think like the line at the top was like, we need to teach the young fans about Patrick Vieira. And I'm not saying that Thomas party is Patrick. Cause we know that Patrick is really special, but the ability to play box to box to, to contribute defensively and offensively, ball progression and just being physically dominate dominating in the middle is something that we've missed and not for nothing, but Jaka was awesome as well today. And again, he's showing that with or without Thomas party, he's playing really well. I know the Burnley mistake was like, kind of like, okay, well he's almost back at the start, but he really isn't. He like that one tackle that he did. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. The tackle that he did, Kind of, who was that against? Do you guys know he did a tackle like right outside the box there? Is that that Doherty when he was trying to? Yes, yes. I mean, he was confident. He didn't really make that many mistakes and he did his job as well. You know, so we have a midfield, you guys. That's something that we need to be happy about because I don't think the result is the same if you play with El Neni or Ceballos. And I was worried after the last game when Thomas came out because Arteta said it was a tactical reason why he came out against Olympiacos. And, you know, I was worried maybe he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't like what Thomas was doing, but today was the day where he showed the Arsenal fan base, what he can do. No, he may not be fancy like a wall may, he may not be silky like Odegaard, but you need this type of midfield midfielder in the center of the pitch. And I was very, very impressed by not only party, but Jaka, you know, it's another win for Arteta there in my eyes. See, uh, so quick, quick, Michael, I know you wanted to go, but this is, this is like directly off what Jeff said. I think, I think it's hard to say that you can look at Jack's performance and say that he, he's finally proving himself right. Jack has been one of our best players this season overall. The season started poorly for everybody. But when we started getting our uptick around Christmas time and forward, Jack has been probably one of our best top two, three players this season um, in all competitions. And he and usually when things are working well for us, he's one of our better players. So, and that's the thing that frustrates me when you talk about, you know, when everyone discusses the midfield and say, like, well, I want to upgrade on Jack. It's like, well, why? Like he puts in performances like this and he shows you he don't need to upgrade on him. If him and Party get time together, and can form a partnership in midfield. We don't need to spend money on a replacement for John. You can spend money on on a, on, a, on, a, on a good rotational option that you can maybe bring in another team because you need depth. But for me, 
another good performance of Jack. I think Parquet was excellent, like you said. I think, but for me, it's it's Jack because I think he, the fact that he's continuously showing that he is to the standard that we want, and there's a reason why Arteta asked him to stay, and there's a reason why Emery kept playing, and there's a reason why Arsene Wenger wanted him, and there's a reason why Arsene Wenger trusted him. He keeps proving people wrong. He'll make mistakes, midfielders do, but. For me, he's been he's been excellent yet again, and I think it, it's people need to now start asking different questions about him. Not if can I replace him? It's well, how far can we go with him? And, and I, I like him in this position, and I, I think we look good with him. So let me let me and there you know you said good. There was a reason Wenger Wenger won. There's a reason why Emery played, and there's a reason why Arteta played. But there was a, you know a lot of people may tend to forget this about him before he got here. There was a reason Bayern wanted him. You know, I don't know if people really remembered, but we beat out yep. Bayern Munich for for Granit Xhaka's services. That was that was Wenger's persuasion act there. Um, the one thing to notice about Thomas Party that I want to say is, it, I think that there is still a fitness issue there. Um, he in the end of the game, you can see some of you know some of the passing started to get a little bit sloppiness. There were two passes he made towards the end that put us under pressure. And, and look. But overall, he, I, I agree with you, Jess. He's just been a dominating force. I did not see anything wrong with Grana Jaka's play at all. I think the two are a good, solid tandem. Now, you could make argues. You could argue that with Jaka, there might be some technical limit, technical limitations to his play. And and you know, you look at the goal that he, you know, against Burnley, and and how he received that ball, and, and not on a half turn. But you know, look. That being said, I do, though, I chimed in because I need to pick up on something that Luke was talking about and, and, and how Gabrielle had pocketed um, Harry Kane. I just got to ask. I want someone to explain to me why England's great hope at forward didn't see at least a yellow card for the shoulder barge into Gabrielle. Now, look, I know what's happened there. That's a player that's been frustrated all day long because a certain player has literally just absolutely bossed him around. I mean, that that's what that is. That is, he's frustrated. And, and, and look, that's his game. Kane's game is to get physical with you so that you maybe back off and give him respect and room. But that's, Gabe, Gabriel plays, I'm going to say Gabriel, um, but Gabriel, that's what he He's just as physical, and he's not going to back off. And <clears throat> I just, I, I just don't get it. I look, Kane is a talented football player, as much as I hate to say it, but the reality is, he's also probably one of the dirtiest players that I've ever seen. That thing he does, where he'll he will look over his shoulder and he'll back into a jumping player who's jumping up for a head ball or something. You know, at what point does does the FA or a ref do something about that? Is it when somebody goes up into the air and they come down on the ground and fracture their spine or they get a concussion? I mean, today he comes in shoulder first into Gabriel and his shoulder, like it, it, it's, it hits Gabriel's shoulder. But if Gabriel's another way, he had just made, he just makes a clearance, right? So Gabriel's in kind of his follow through on the pass. He's exposed, right? It's, that's dangerous. I mean, that to me, that's a that call was a red card. That because it was blatant and it was obvious. It was an intent to hurt a player, right? That is about as obvious a red card as I have ever saw. But as everybody sees, as you see all over social media, it, he is treated 
differently than players. And there have been other English players throughout the, the, the Premier League when it was the championship that have just been left alone, right? They don't do this. And I just don't get it. You know, it's, it, it, it and, and look, and I, and I tweeted something out at some point, they're going to, he's going to hurt somebody and it's going to be a significant injury. It's going to be an injury where somebody's carted off the field, whether it's a, you know, a fractured spine or a concussion or something like that, it's going to happen. And you just know the story is going to, well, you know, Harry Kane, you know, that he didn't really mean that he's not that kind of player. Bullshit. There's so much video evidence to show that Harry Kane is exactly that kind of player. That is exactly the kind of player he is because what he's trying to do is get in your head. He wants to make sure that you think he's going to get physical with me. I don't, and I don't want to get physical with him. And that's where our older tandem of center backs would fail because they weren't big, imposing, physical center backs. They would get into this fear game with him. They would back off. They would get nervous and make stupid decisions against him, right? I thought today that Gabriel and, and Louise were just the perfect tandem up there today because they, they're they they're just as bull, big bull, physical bullshitters as he is. And they're not going to be – they're not afraid to get it up there. And that's the thing about Louise. If I can just like segue on Louise, he, he's also like, – like Jaka, there are moments when he just makes these boneheaded mistakes. But for the most part, 92 95% of his game, he's still just a – big old bruiser out there with a lot of technical skill. You know, he, he was playing real tight. To, you know, there are a couple times where, where Kane was trying to, to, to play off of his back shoulder. He would adjust and he would get in there and he'd win the ball. There's a couple times he'd come in and win the ball. It, I, I just, I, I'm glad. I want the scoring part of Kane's game in a striker. I hate the crap that he brings along with it because there's nothing about that, that that it 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 basically makes him two separate footballers. And the fact of the matter is this: I I won't ever there. You know, when Erickson was at Spurs, it was a player that I would secretly covet because I thought he was a good, solid player. If Kane were just banging in goals and didn't have that crap side to him, I might say, oh, I'd love to have a player like Harry Kane at our club because of just his goal scoring ability. But because he adds that other added dimension, which is the antithesis of the game today, right? It's completely opposite to how that game is played today. It's cheating. It's cheap and it's dirty. And I, 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 I want to see him. Out. I, I can't wait because they're going to have to make a decision on him when he, when he hurts somebody. I can't wait for that day. Karma is going to be a fucking bitch. Well, that was awesome. I That was an amazing rant. And, you know, it's just so let me just key in a little bit on the defensive partnership of Gabrielle and David Louise. To be fair, this is what they've been doing. And really, all of our center back pairings have been doing for weeks, minus the individual errors. We've been really good defensively, really solid. Nobody has really been able to, you know, overrun us this is the first time that even a team in a while has scored a decent goal on us you know it took a worldie to score against us today 
Arteta is getting it right in terms of the partnerships and the defensive structure, and which is also something that he layered in last season that a lot of people were were too defensive. Well, now defense is our second nature, so now we can focus on on scoring goals. So that's kind of how you build things, like you layer them in slowly, and then you never forget them. And the defensive structure has been really good this entire season, really minus the individual errors, especially lately. So for me, Gabrielle was always the number one choice. I do like Marie, but Gabrielle just has something special about his physicality and just the way that he he dominates players physically that I really like. And like Mike said, it's just something that we haven't had in a long time. You know, so I, I really like this this partnership together. But on the Kane thing, like I was telling you guys before the before we even started recording that, um, you know, that really pissed me off. And it was like, for me, if I can't like physically hurt somebody, I want to like cry. And I was like on the verge of tears because seeing Kane run into Gabrielle after the fact, the way that he did, I'm looking at it on my phone right now, is completely out of outside of football. It's a joke. If he wasn't the British prince, he would have been red carded quickly, but he didn't even get a yellow card. That's an absolute joke. If that's an Arsenal player, any Arsenal player, they get a red card. Why does he get away with this? I mean, he has to play within the scope of the game. He can't just be running into a player elbow first after the ball is kicked. It's a joke. The good thing is that, like you said, Michael, it's Gabrielle, right? And it's not like, um, you know, maybe a defender of the past that wouldn't have been able to, to deal with that type of, you know, dirty play, you know, but Gabrielle handled it perfectly. And ultimately justice was served um, because then Lamella gets the red card that he more than deserved for, he had been doing some of the, the dirty after, after stuff as well. And he just got caught this time. And he was sent out there after Sun got hurt to wind up Jaka, to wind up David Luiz, and it backfired on him. Lamella is supposedly an, a wonder kid that's been at Tottenham for a long time. He's He's been there, but he's not a very good player. And Jose Mourinho uses him to goat other players, and it just didn't work this time. I'm so glad that the referees caught on to him and gave him that red card because it's more than what he deserved. And it was justice for the fact that nothing happened to Harry Kane. So I think today, you know, in terms of the refereeing decisions, they did go in our, in our direction and it's not in an unfair direction. It's just, we got the calls that we deserved. And I think maybe we could spend a little bit of time talking about the penalty because again, commentary, I know UK commentary is saying, that wasn't a penalty, but to me, it was clear as day. I don't know what your guys' opinion on it is, but I'm trying to figure out how you could even justify that as not a penalty. It was pretty clear to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I do have an opinion on the penalty. Well, first thing, I, I wanted to kind of just address what you guys have been talking about in the Kane Challenge. And um, to me, like, because you always look at, like, three things always brought up when it comes to a potential red card challenge. You look, you look at if it's dangerous play, if there's any intent to challenge for the ball and if it's excessive force. And for me, it ticks all three boxes. And for VAR to look at that, because apparently they review everything, and not send the referee to the monitor is mental to me. Because if that's a challenge that involves legs 
or like high fee or like or if it's if it's a kind of a blow the waist challenge then that gets looked at every day of the week we've seen it so often like with Nketiah um we've like and, and Aubameyang's challenge against Crystal Palace last season we've seen it so many times because it's above the the waist uh it just seems, it feels like a lot of players get away with this kind of stuff. You can see it. Let's say, as you are, I'm looking at it right now. He's running at Gabriel. He's staring at Gabriel. He's not looking at the ball. He does, makes no attempts to challenge for the ball. He's absolutely wiped Gabriel out. And that's dangerous. Like, you can get, like, some sort of whiplash. That can be a concussion. He could fall wrong. Because, like, as, as he's been wiped out, he's playing the ball. So, yeah. It's, to me, it's, it's mental. It's absolutely crazy that there's no repercussion for that. I understand that. I mean, there are three months to see it as well. Like, he's because Gabriel's playing the ball. So it's like they're in play. Like, I, I don't stand it. In, in terms of the pen, I think that I think the, the, the argument some people make is that Lagsett's had a kind of a, a go at the shot. He's absolutely sliced it. It's probably going out of play. Um, uh, the chance probably would have been gone regardless if Sanchez makes a challenge. But at the same time, like, like this is what we see from Sanchez too many times like in, in, the, in the opinion of Spurs fans anyway is that he's rash and he's just thrown himself at like that because it's a leg I think that on a different day a different referee maybe waves it off because like I said sliced the shot so badly but at the end of the day you can't throw yourself into someone's leg in the box and expect not to to you know go at you it's just it's, it's mental um you know I don't think Lamella can have any trouble either I, I think it's 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 not the worst thing in the world. He's he's kind of put his arm out to hold someone off, but at the same time, it's it's high. So like his his eyes are on the ball. He's not purposely trying to forearm them in the face, but at the same time, if you put your arm up that high, then you're almost inviting like there to be some sort of like bad contact. So I think Lamella's stupid. Kane, I, I kind of echo what you guys have said. Is he, you know, he, he has backing behind him, so he can do stuff like this. And it's every game. It's the little niggly stuff. Is is like. Factually, in my opinion, now he's a dirty player, and we see it every day, every game. He's doing these little things to try and like just get an edge on the opponent. You know, it's a physical game; it's a contact sport. We understand that. You know, there's going to be a bit rough and tumble. Um, uh, you know, there's going to be some untowards contact here and there. But see, that is dangerous, and it's the same as when we talk about him back into player in the air. It's dangerous. If you look at Gabriel's body shape when Kane goes into him, everything can go wrong there. Because he's got one foot planted, the other foot striking the ball, his body shapes, his arms away from his body. Like, there could have been anything happened there. Like, he could have damaged his ribs. As I said before, it could be concussion. It just, like, at the time, I thought it was bad. But just seeing it back now, it just, I just think it's really bad to be here. I mean, like, we can count the last laugh anyway because Kane barely got a kick and we won the game. So I think that will hurt Kane a lot more than Kane was able to hurt Gabriel, which for me is the, uh, the ending bit to the story. I like the ending bit. Luke should be a storyteller. Uh, get your uh, audiobooks by Luke free from now. <laughs> um, no, for me, and I was just talking about this on, uh, on TGT in the, in the WhatsApp at, at that group, and I was just saying that Harry Kane reminds me a lot of Prime Alan Shearer. He did the exact same thing. So he would be an absolute, I'm not trying to stay away from the brand because I curse too much in life, but he was just. Same, same stuff, real dirty, always leading with elbows, always intentionally fouling and doing these. I, I swear Harry Kane's modeled his game after Alan Shearer, and there are honestly probably a few better to model your game after if you're an English center forward and you're a physical center forward. And there's a lot of similarities in types of goals that score, but Shearer used to get away with the same things week in, week out, against us particularly as well. And it seems like he got that same grace that Kane is getting. So maybe there's a little bit of a connection there. Again, I might sound a bit tinfoil hat, but I feel like 
a lot. And a lot of people in English media kind of want players that remind them of, call it better times. And, and there's, there hasn't been a brilliant English center forward since Alan Shearer until Harry Kane came along. And so now you have so much similarities in the game. Maybe that has a lot to do with um, the grace that he gets. But uh, yeah, for me, it's a red card all day long. I and mean, you see it, and it's not just against us. You can't even say it's an Arsenal bias. You see it every week Harry Kane does something against whichever opponent he's up against, whether if it's in Europe or in, in domestically, where he should be carded. Um, he does it less in Europe because he's more likely to get carded because the rest in Europe uh, or, or more by the book. There's no interpretation about what is and isn't a foul, what is and isn't leaving with the elbow. It's it's this is what you did. This is what the rules say. Here's what the requisite card is, whether it's yellow or red. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm personally kind of tired of it, and I don't think the I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But you know, like Luke said, I think it, the, the the last laugh is the fact that he he barely got a sniff except for his. That he did have a brilliant free kick that that happened to hit, hit the post. So there's that. But apart from that, he didn't really do anything. So I think that for me is what's more important, you know, moving forward. And I guess just quickly going on to the the Gabriel Luis thing, I think it's going to be really difficult to replace Luis moving forward. And that's going to be a question that we have to answer because not because he's irreplaceable, not because there aren't better center backs in the world, but because of how well he and Gabriel play together. And that's a really important component tactically. Um, when you're trying to build something moving forward. So it's almost unfortunate that we didn't have Luis a couple of years younger, so maybe he would be here longer because he and Gabriel have looked quite good together overall and they've grown this season together as well. So, um, but I think they're absolutely in integral today. Um, and, and I think um, when, when mistakes, again, mistakes do happen and both of them make them, it's not just Luis, Gabriel does make mistakes as well, but sometimes um, he's not punished for his in, in, in the sense that sometimes Luis is, but, um, when they when when their own's on for them, like they're a very hard center back pairing to, to to get by to get good chances against. You know, they're both good on set pieces as well. So all these kind of things kind of factor in. So um, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on uh, to to talking about Odegaard. So um, but yeah, I think we can all probably agree. Like let's move forward for the with the rest of the podcast. I think we're all just kind of happy we got that, that three points. Who knows what the podcast would have been if if we didn't. <laughs> Yeah, so let's just pivot a little bit to something a little bit more positive because um, we did win the game. And, you know, somebody that, um, you know, I think has had such, you know, a good, I don't know. I don't know how to how to say it. It's like he's been hyped up a lot, but maybe his performances haven't really added up to that. But I think today was a game that he really shocked me and surprised me, and that's Odegaard. I think he was keyed in and clued up defensively. He was making tackles, which is not really a part of his game, but you can tell that that meant that he cared. And I think offensively he was great. He obviously had the goal and he was controlling the game and having some really good interplay with Sokka and, and Cedric and the players on the right-hand side. And we have a question about Odegaard from one of the listeners. It comes from Neelish, so thank you for your question. He asks, do you think making Odegaard his loan permanent in the summer would be great, or is there a better option? Not counting Grealish because of shin splints are, are terrible. But, you know, Michael, you've already said that you, you love Odegaard and you think he's going to be really good for us in his loan spell. But moving forward, do you still believe that? And do you think that, you know, he'd be a good permanent signing? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I think what we're starting to see is that he's starting to feel comfortable and starting to understand, I mean, where where his team a little bit better. I think the passes are starting to, to come together to show that that he's still making some of the – I love the, the, the attempt at blind passes that he tries, but they aren't coming off because I don't think he understands the rhythm of the players in front of him yet. But I think the last two games – and I, I know we want to talk about, you know, people will automatically go to the goals. But I do think he's still, I mean, may, he's making the progressive passes into the final third. He's, made, you know, he's he's continually creating and moving and finding space. And look, you'd be hard-pressed to find value at that level for that field. And I, and I, don't, I, I, I don't know what Real Madrid would ask for him, but, you know, they have their own financial issues. I mean, they were asking player they were asking players to take a salary cut so they could play Gareth Bale's salary, right? They they they, they have to have money in, right? And we've got a guy who seems to be fitting in well. We have a guy who's helping us immensely and people and offers us something that we haven't had since Mezzodozo decided to you know, pack up his bags and stop playing for us, you know, uh, when he did. Uh, and by that, I mean, just really wasn't the, the best contributor on the field. Um, I, I really think that this was a, this, if, if he continues to go like this, we're going to have to be careful because he might actually start attack, <coughs> attracting other people's um, eyes and stuff like that, because he's just been, He's he, he's growing in influence influence on the game. He's 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 going to be hard to drop, um, though. You can make uh, you can understand why Arteta might make tactical decisions that prefer either him or Smith Rowe or them together. I I, I, I so far I, it's just been a joy, and I because I outside of um, defenders. Uh, um, Specifically, right backs. Lee, Lee Dixon being my ultimate favorite player because that was the position I played. Um, creative midfielders. I just I, I could watch all day. I really could. And and he's someone as he gets more confidence and he as he gets more influential into the team. Is it, so far it seems like he's just going to be a joy to watch. Though I got to admit, you got to say you know. The best pass of the day wasn't from him, and as much as I like him, the best pass of the day was from our guy Pepe. That passed for the that, that resulted in the penalty. That may be the best pass I've seen from an Arsenal player since Ozil was had Sanchez running in front of him, right? Um, but going back to the point, yes, I would absolutely make this a permanent deal. If it were me, I think it's going to be a value deal. I think um, it would be smart to just get him in here, frankly, because he, he'll – you don't have to worry about integrating. At that point, once you make him a permanent deal after the loan, he's already been integrated in the squad. He's already established a level of rapport with the team. He, the, 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 the manager's going to have a level of trust in him. He's going to understand what's expected from him. And, um, and I think, you know, there is a reason why he was the best um, midfielder in La Liga when he was playing at Sociedad. There was a spell period where he was called the best midfielder going on. We'd be stupid to let that go. And with that saying let that go, I'm going to sign off and let you guys finish out all the questions. I have to um, go do real life stuff. So you guys 
wrap up. I know you're going to wrap this up perfectly. It's been great. Jess, thanks for bringing me back on. And Luke and Drew, guys, hit a home run. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Okay. So, um, well, Michael's gone. So now who's going to rant? That's the bad thing. It's not going to be me. I've ran, we have to have Jess rant again. That'll be fun. Um, so for me, I, there's a quote that popped up about Odegaard. Um, Sam Dean posted that just on Twitter a couple minutes ago. Um, he was saying uh, his work rate is incredible. Not only that, he's intelligent. The timing of his runs, when he presses, his body shape, I'm really impressed. And he had an incredible performance today. He's giving us something different, and it's making us better. So I think for me, when you kind of hear those things, those are kind of a, a lot of the hallmarks you want in a creative player. And, and that's the kind of player that Mesut Ozil was when he was in his prime, right? So if you're looking for that type of really intelligent, mobile, creative centerpiece figure, they trying to build your attack around. Odegaard makes a lot of sense. And Michael brings up a good point that we've mentioned before. We don't know what Real Madrid are going to do in terms of the summer because they are struggling for financially. So a deal needs to be done. Odegaard, I can't remember the quotes off the top of my head, but he had recent quotes as well saying how settled he feels, how at home he feels at the club. So it seems that both sides want him to be long-term, which is important for us because there were a lot of questions you know, moving forward with the club. You know, how are we going to find the, the fill the void, you know, left by those departures, you know, it's, it's Emil Smith-Rowe enough, but I think, and people forget that Smith-Rowe came through the academy as a wide player. So the fact that we're seeing him be effective out on, out on that left-hand side uh, with Ergon in, in the 10 role shows that they can play together and it doesn't take away from the depth that we have because you still have Pepe that can come on or you can rotate depending on the opponent. You know, you have a, a William who's been growing in confidence. He can come on. Um, you have, um, you know, uh, who else can you go? I guess who else can we mention that, that we currently have? But um, there, there's there's some depth there, which is important. Um, and it would, be, it would be even less important if, if we don't get Europe next season, then you really scroll to choice. Then you can make more tactical changes, not just changes through fitness concerns. So, um the, the danger is because Real are struggling with finances so much that they might try to overcharge for Odegaard. Instead of trying to get a cut price deal, they might want to get more money because they're in such financial straits. So, but I think if, if it's if we can afford it, and if you know if he continues to to to, to improve and and say we go on and make a run in Europe and and he plays a big role, let's say winning the Europa League, then I think it makes as much sense as humanly possible you know, to bring him in on the permanent. And um, I don't know. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm pleased. I'm glad he settled quite well. My concern was, wasn't that he's not a good player. It was how long was it going to take him to settle um, coming in as he did. And, and he settled faster than I expected. And if he hasn't just settled. He's, he's, he's done well. I think today was probably his best performance in Arsenal shirt, um, irrespective of the fact that he, that he scored. I think he played well overall. And, um I think his confidence is growing. I think that's all you want. So I think in you know, another month or two from now, I think there are going to be a few Arsenal fans that are going to say, like, if you can get him for $30 million or less, that's an absolute steal because people forget how young he is. He's been around since he was 16, but he's only 22. You know, I have memories are on the top of my head. So, yeah, I think I think it makes total sense to bring him on, 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 on a full end. That's how you want to build a squad. You're just doing it now without getting the deal across the line. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think uh, 
you, you can like a lot of our recent resurgence i think like where we've kind of just been kind of over the last kind of maybe month building it and building it and building it in this new system comes a lot down to uh leadership in the spine of the team so you can look at like odegaard i'm looking at party and jacka looking at gabriel and luis it's like those players all of them take a lot of responsibility on the game and they're so vocal and in their actions um uh, you can really see that um, they're trying to affect the game. They're trying to like lead the people around them. And probably the, that's the thing I've been uh, most pleased with in terms of Odegaard is that this is a young player that hasn't really got any experience playing at this level. Like uh, I think, um, you know, he, he's had loan spells in Holland and obviously at Sociedad and, and done well, but he's never really um, had the opportunity to be uh, one of the main men in a team out of our level, especially in the Premier League, especially for a team as big as Arsenal, who are in a bad way, like a lot of players would kind of crumble under that. And and it'd be understandable if he did take more time to transition to the challenge. But if it really feels like with each passing game, he's really growing into the role and that he's trying to affect the game so much. And he's almost like, like it says a lot that he's become the captain of Norway at such a young age, because you can see that when he plays for Arsenal, you can see that he's a potential captain. Um, I think that he's not really, uh, he's not just there to follow the lead of other players. He wants to, you know, be one of the leaders himself. And like, I'm looking now that um, his contract expires on in June 2023, so which means the end of this season, he's going to have two years left. So I think, obviously, we have to convince Real Madrid to uh, to be able to sell. But I think the point of the person we have to convince most is Odegaard himself. If Odegaard um, can go back to him in the summer and say, I want to go to Arsenal, and if you don't sell me, then I'm running my contract down, then Real Madrid, in their current situation, are going to have to, you know, look to negotiate a, a fair price of us. So I think that if we can convince him that this is the place for him to be, and I think there's every chance of that, because obviously as the club, big club, a lot of prestige. He's made to feel really at home. He's been like a main player pretty much from day one. Like he's kind of had the first week of kind of adapting to it. And then Arteta's given him a lot of, uh, a lot of minutes in like a really key position, like um, uh, playing in that camera. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that the sky's the limit. And, and the best thing is, I actually think that there's more to come from him. I think that he's like a, such a classy player, but I still when I see him, I still like every every game. I see like these little improvements, these little tweaks. He looks a little bit more comfortable. He's moving into other areas. Like the last time, maybe two games, he's been getting into the pony box a lot more, which I think is like another really big plus. He's been taking more shots, which um which can be a plus. Um, he's trying more balls. Like, but he's you know the classy little touches in and around players playing into like these kind of congested areas and playing out of them. Uh, so sometimes, and it is Ozil-esque, he'll get the ball like with four players around him and kind of like just do like a little body faint, move out and then find a simple pass, which maybe doesn't look too spectacular. But in terms of us keeping the ball in the final third, which is probably the main thing we've struggled with this season in terms of creating chances, it's just so like so important to us. Um, I feels like every episode now we're kind of like waxing lyrical about Odegaard, but it's just, it's just so deserved. Every week he just goes up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. He's just kind of really edging himself into a way of being like, Probably one of my favourite players at Arsenal, and I think the rest of the fan beats really, uh, really agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I started off talking about Odegaard, but I really could continue to talk about him. I won't, but yeah, I'm. I said from the beginning that this is a player that I really wanted at Arsenal when I saw him at Real Sociedad, and I thought, wow, if we could get a player like that we'd be sorted in that position um, for a long time. But I never thought that a loan opportunity 
would make that possible for us. And I am hoping that, you know, we can make this permanent if it continues to, to move in this direction, which I think it will. But just on a macro level of just, you know, we kind of started off talking about how Arteta needs more, needs more credit, you know, and there's, there's things that are happening on the pitch that I think need to be spoken about. But I also, there's, there's things behind the scenes that are also kind of showing up in different ways that I kind of take note of like players coming off of the bench and actually making, you know, um, differences when they come out there. Pepe is just somebody to me that looks a different player and again, this is another one of those situations where, you know, his his resurgence and his, his the change in him is not none of that is is apparently because of Arteta. But for me, all I can see is Arteta. You know, I'm looking at this player and I'm like, I think he's learned, which does take time to learn who your players are and what they need in order to be successful. And I think Arteta has learned how to keep Pepe and even other players on the fringes feeling important in this squad. So when they do come out there and play, they perform. And that's important, not just in this season where we need to rotate, but moving forward for the project, we need to have more than just a good starting 11. We need to have at least 15 to maybe 16, 17 players that are really bought in and having a top quality player like Pepe, who of course you're probably like, well, how is he top quality? What I'm saying is his talent level, some of the things that he can do are not things that you can teach. And if you can kind of smooth the edges, you know, he's a very raw player, but if you can kind of smooth those edges and get him doing the basics well on a regular basis, we have a really dangerous player on our hands. And these are things that, you know, maybe a couple months ago we wouldn't have seen. You know, it's not always about just the first 11, what's happening right there on the pitch. It's about like even body language, the way that they celebrate together, how happy everybody looks. The only person that didn't look happy today was Aubameyang. And for good reason, because he made a mistake. But I think what we're seeing is kind of like a, a shift in attitude more players are buying into the project and what we're trying to do, what Arteta is trying to accomplish and the results are changing. You know, it was, it wasn't too long ago, you guys, where, you know, players would come off the bench and make absolutely no difference, especially somebody like Pepe, you know? So again, Arteta deserves so much credit and I'm not saying that being in 10th and, and maybe not making it into the Europa league is, is good enough. It's not. But we have to like look in between the lines to actually be able to appreciate what's going on here. And for a team that's been in basically free fall for the last five years or so, we've we haven't really seen anybody try to change the um, arsenal from like the bottom, you know, really untangle the knot and start from scratch. And for me, all I want to see is that somebody's actually trying to make a change, a real change, not paper over the cracks, a real change. And that's what I'm seeing from Arteta. So I'm I'm very optimistic. And Neilish also had another question about and, and Drew, you, you already kind of talked about this, but he asked, you know, given how unpredictable the season is turning out to be. Where do you think we can finish at the end of this? And, you know, we have West Ham, Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, the the more difficult games 
coming up. And then we have a pretty, I don't want to call it an easy run because obviously every single game in the Premier League is difficult, you know, but um, moving into the latter ends of this of the season, you know, we may have an opportunity to at, get really close to those European places. So what do you guys think? Where can we finish realistically for you guys? I mean, so repeat who we have. We still have to play what? West Ham, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, you said, right? Yes. So, yeah, all three are above us, obviously. Liverpool are – we're two points off Liverpool right now. You know, we're seven points off West Ham. Uh, we're ten points off Chelsea. We're, we're not getting Champions League, but the, we can still finish top five, top six, given the math. Right now, yeah, like everything's only five points clear with the same amount of matches played. You know, everyone kind of lauds about – um, the job that Ancelotti was doing, but something that, again, I mentioned this on um, on the Gunnar talk maybe a month ago with Tom. Tom and I were discussing the fact that Everton are sitting, a club like Everton and West Ham are sitting where they are right now because they're playing, uh, they're overperforming. They're at like 110% of their potential to play right now. Um, and you're seeing Everton now starting to fall away of it now. They've lost three of six. Um, they had a three-match run where they won. They just they just dropped two in a row. So now we're only four, we're only five points off them. Um, so who knows what's going to be like how the lay of the land is going to look by the time we play them? You know, beating them depending on how other how other results go. You never know the kind of um, gap closing we can do. And in the meantime, we have we have West Ham next on Sunday, right? So we beat West Ham. We climb within four points of West Ham, just like that. Um, so for me, anything is possible. Um, even if it seems maybe like statistically unlikely, you know, a lot has to happen before that. There's still Villa. We have to concern ourselves with how their form is going to go up or down. Spurs could easily rebound. Liverpool could finally go on a run. There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors and variables we can't control, but all you can do is just beat those teams ahead of us. We play three of them. If you beat those three, you never know. That's nine points from nine from teams that are all within, you know, touching distance. And, um, I know we've talked before about like how the optics of the season looks, but for me, you, you know, if you don't win the Europa League, the optics of the league don't matter really, because all that's going to matter at the end of the day is if we do or don't get Europe through the league, and and you know, you need you need fifth, you need sixth, you know, seventh is is that that no that new Europa conference thing where you're you're literally having to go to like Estonia every week and that is awful when you have a schedule like the Premier League without a midseason break. So I, I'd rather not, honestly, but I, I still keep faith that we can actually get fifth or sixth. Um if look at the teams all everyone in that gap between us and Chelsea at the moment, only West Ham is the only other side that are in form. They've what lost one of their last six. They've got four wins in that same time period. So they're they're not regressing yet, which is I think no one's expected that. Um, Chelsea have kicked on under Tuchel, which I think a lot of people did expect. At least that shot in the arm under a manager's experience is him with the attacking talent that he has. Chelsea were always going to improve for me, but you know Everton are regressing now to the mean and the data around everything isn't great. They almost have an even goal difference in their sixth place in the table. So they have a lot of weaknesses that you can exploit. Um, for me, I think Spurs are probably a better team and, and we just beat Spurs, I would say comfortably, not on the scoreboard, but in the performance. Liverpool are an absolute shadow of themselves and that goes irrespective of the, the defensive issues they've had. They look very disjointed when they're in possession. So that has nothing to do with Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez all being out. Um, and then Villa for me, 
they're not this despite the the brilliant business they've done they're not the same side without a fit and inform jack Grealish. and you've seen that over the last six they only have one win so if i look at us in comparison to villa liverpool spurs and everton i see four clubs that we can run down and we have to play two of those and we just played spurs and beat them so now if you go on and you beat liverpool and you beat everton it's a whole different discussion and that's also part of the optics it's not just about performances if you beat these teams now during a period when you're ahead in the ascendancy when they're not that helps those optics um i still don't know if we're going to win europa league i think we're one of the stronger sides left if not you know arguably the strongest side left other than say manchester united um in terms of this quality in the team but uh, it's not not anything can happen in knockout competitions you know slavia prague are not that far away from maybe getting to the quarterfinals, even though they, they had a similar run two seasons ago. So it, those are so hard to tell. But, you know, I think the Premier League, anything is possible. I think we still can do it. Um, and I think Arteta is showing that I think he believes the same. You know, I think he would have rotated his teams and, you know, not focused on matches like these, despite still being in Europe, if he, if he didn't think so. And I think the players believe it as well. I think you're seeing that confidence. You're seeing it in the younger players too. They're hungry. You know, they want to be successful. And it's not just the younger players, even, even the seasoned players look the same. You know, even though Leno makes mistakes, he's always confident. You know, Partey and Jack have already discussed, you know, Louise, he's he's been he's been a rock of late. You know, like I said, does perform when he when he gets a chance to play more often than not. So yeah, I, I think all the ingredients are there for us to actually surprise people. And I'd rather go completely deep into try and go as high as possible in the Premier League table. Um and also try to challenge for you. I don't think you can pick one. I think you have to do both. So I'd be fine if we, you know, made the finals of Europa League, but also finished sixth in the league. I'd be fine with that because I think we'd have to focus on Europa League completely to win it. I don't think we're going to do that. So it's just a tricky one, but I think, I do think we can climb up the table. I don't know how far, but I do think we won't finish 10th. I think we'll finish no less than eighth, but I do think we can get top six, but Maybe I'm just being overly confident, but that's just that's just my view on it, and, and I'm, I'm kind of confident now. The the tough thing when we're assessing this is because we have to almost assess our own consistencies, and I think that's kind of where the problems for us lie is that we've got like three wins in our last five Premier League games, which is always like all right on the when you're looking at it, but none of those wins been back to back. I think if we really want to start climbing the table, then we have to kind of start tying these together, like these wins together. We have to be winning two, three, four games in a row, um, which is something we've struggled to do all season. Uh, looking above us, obviously, Liverpool could easily go on a run. If they get a few players back from injury, they could easily go and run. At the moment, they look bad. Obviously, they got one win in the last five. Um, Everton lost the last two. Uh, Villa have uh, got one win in the last five. Like The Villa have been brilliant this season, but they were always going to start falling a bit down, especially with, Grealish going out. I think that Villa are a team that if you work them out, then you can play against them quite well. And I think that teams may be starting to to work them out a bit more now. So I I think, obviously, maybe it doesn't even sound very exciting. I think we'll get by Villa. Um, Liverpool, I'm not sure. I think we could definitely finish off Spurs. I, I, they've got um, a, a lot of great players on, on paper. Their starting 11 is probably stronger than ours. But um, I still think Spurs, in every game I watch, they just they make... Like, or in a lot of them, that they just make a lot of trouble of it. And, and the same thing we saw today is that we can praise our team as much as we want to because we did. We played really well. We dominated the game. But a, a part of why we dominate the game is because they allowed us to dominate the game. And that's what, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be like really furious about is is they just kind of let us have the ball and assumed they could break on us. And when it didn't materialize, 
um, in the last 15, 20 minutes when they were a man down, they suddenly start going after us and they, they were getting a bit of joy. I, I was telling them, I've got a flatmate who's a Spurs fan, I was watching a game with him and I was saying to him, you know, in the last two games, we've given goals away, or like even more than the last two games, we've given goals away from teams pressing us high when we've been trying to play out from the back. I don't understand why you're not going for us right now. It, it seems like this it's like the most simple thing. If, if anyone's been watching the tapes of, of us this season in the last month to say to them, okay, when they're trying to play out from the back, you've got to press them because that's where we've been giving away pretty much all of our goals. But they didn't. Um, Everton, I think Everton have been... Uh, so I'm, I'm not really sure how much they, they fall, but I think that, that, again, what I said before is we have to be consistent before we can capitalise on other teams not being consistent. And I've not seen enough consistency from us to to know if we can do that yet. If we go on the run from now and we win the next two or three, which I think is definitely possible because, as I say, I mean, I don't know what the situation is with Saka and, and there's apparent injury, but hopefully he's okay. Um, for the most part, we've got like kind of a, a clean bill of, of um of injuries um so like everyone's feeling good like we won this game we can as we said in the last podcast like we can rotate for the next leg now because they have to score three goals like like El Nenny can come in Pepe who had a really good performance today he can come in Lacazette can play again and then if we can get through that then you can really feel that we can start building some momentum but it has to translate itself into performances I think we could get sixth or seventh but we have to see improvements than what we've seen before this season. And that's going to be the question for me. Yep. That's exactly what it comes down to. It's our consistency and our ability to string together, you know, performances like this back to back to back. Arteta said it last, last week that, you know, it's going to take four or five, you know, wins in a row basically. And you do that. And then our chances of making things happen towards the end looks different. You know, right now it's still inconclusive, you know, but for me, it's if we can string together some more performances like this, I think anything is possible. Drew, did you want to come in there? Yeah, no, I don't, I, I think we have put the performances in. Everyone can forgive us for losing one nothing to City, right? But I think, you know, if you look back, you've got the, the win against Leeds, you know, you, then you, you we bounce back after City and beat Leicester. I think the Burnley match just came down to the fact that we just didn't finish our chances. But I don't think we played poorly. I think the performances are there. I think part of the performances, though, is the individual errors and taking care of your chances. So when I say performances, I'm not saying that it is to me. So my my idea is like consistency, good performances is the complete aspect of it. It's not just we played well, but we didn't finish our chances and things like that. So. Maybe I just wasn't like clear, you know, but you know, like, I guess. Sure, maybe- but I, no, I mean, I agree. I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I feel like for me, if you look at a, a good, good performance is creating those chances. Like, you're not going to put away every chance. I think this is the, the thing that, and while I do think people that don't put chances away maybe need to be, it needs to look at a little bit more critically. I agree with that because you know, it, no matter how many goals they score, if like Robert Lewandowski, for example, misses a sitter, he's the hardest on himself because he knows he should have put it away. But he also knows he'll get another chance. So he's not too hard on himself. But I think for me, um, when it comes to the things like chances, chances are a byproduct of how you're playing, more so than your opposition, because you can be playing a poor side. It doesn't mean you're going to create chances against them. 
And the, the nature of data in football is no matter how good you are, you're going to miss the, the vast majority of the chances that you get. So I am fine with the fact that we can play well and not get chances. I'm, I don't always really sort of like, I just, I don't get like a bull in headlights. So if, if we miss chances on the day, that's part of football. Even better sides than us have an off day at the office in terms of their finishing. Better teams, better players. So that's part of it. But for me, I look at the, the simple fact that did we, did we play well? You know, you're not going to win every match. You know, you can, you can be the better team and lose. But for me, the overarching thing is, is if you're playing well, it means you still have something to take into the next match and build off of. You're building off of the overall performance in terms of were you consistent in your overall level of play as a unit. You're not building your performances off of, well, did we finish today? And did we not finish yesterday? Well, then we didn't play well. Do you know what, do you see what I'm saying? So I take your point in that you have to analyze chances as part of the performance. But when you, you don't build form just based on how many chances you tackle, well, you build form on how everybody's playing together cohesively and tactically. And for me, I think we've had that the last three or four matches. Um, or certainly at least the last four out of five. I, you know, again, the City match to me is an anomaly, but the other four matches for me, I feel like if, if we play like that nine times out of 10 every week, we'll probably win. And that's how I look at it when you extrapolate it out. So I do think we're seeing it now. I don't think we saw it in the beginning of the season and that's why we had such an awful season because we play well in spurts. And that's to your point, like we weren't being consistent. We play well for a 30 minute spell, 45 minute spell, and then we'd everything would just fall off the rails. And then in the second 45, it was awful. Or we were, you know, um, awful in the first 45, but good in the second 45, but it wasn't enough to get back into the match in time. So I don't think you have that anymore. You don't see us playing half half periods now. You see us playing for 90 minutes. Usually we're playing well for 90 minutes. You, you'll have five to 10 minute spells where we're the lesser side, but again, that's part of the ebb and flow of a football match. But overall, I think our level of play is immeasurably better and i think it's more indicative again going by how we've been post christmas that's more indicative of a team that can go on and be consistent now and yeah i do agree that you have to put those chances away but teams that aren't playing well don't usually create a lot of good chances you know fulham are uh, a prime example they can't finish their chances but they're playing better and now they're creating more chances because of a brighton another example they're usually playing well but they're just not getting they're not finishing it because they don't have that the, the, the clinical nature in their forward line to finish those chances. But Brighton usually don't play poorly. So everyone looks at Brighton and saying, well, they deserve more because all they'd have to do is finish their chances, but they're playing well. Like, I wouldn't want to play Brighton right now because I don't think you can look at Brighton and look at it as a guaranteed win. You know, they're sitting 16th in the table. I don't think anybody looks at Arsenal right now and says, you know, they're 10th, we're going to win. I don't think any of those other clubs you mentioned before, you know, Liverpool, Everton, uh, you know, West Ham, Chelsea, or, or the like, those clubs don't look at us as a guaranteed win right now. They would have before Christmas. Now they think we can go on and win because I think we can because the performances show that. So for me, I think that's kind of all that matters. Awesome. So um, we do have a little bit of an announcement before we end the podcast today. And um, I'm going to let Drew take it away because this actually was his idea. Uh, yeah, no, simple, just um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff out there and good content for a lot of the Arsenal podcasting community. Like, obviously, everybody knows, you know, Arsenal blog and, and Arsenal Vision podcast and, and, and Gunnar Talk and um, uh, Chronicles of Gunnar and, and, and those types, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of 
people that have a lot of good things to say. But I kind of feel like the one thing that was missing was like every so often getting all the bigger podcasts around and coming together and having just like a like a like a like a, an arsenal sphere podcast debate roundtable discussion every once in a while. So Michael and I got our heads together and we're trying to we're actively are the, the next week's gonna be the first one where hopefully once a month um, we're gonna be having that exact idea. So for example, uh, like next week it might be something like me, Michael, um, Jess, Luke, and then um, like Tom from TGT and then Elliot from uh, Arsenal Vision all come down and sit together and have just a broader free-flowing topic of discussions, debates about whatever it could be. Um, and we want to get a lot of people involved in that as well because I feel like there's so much divisiveness amongst the fan base, particularly when it comes to content creation because so many people are more concerned with trying to slate somebody else instead of worrying about the things that they have to say and a lot of negativity that comes around things like, you know, Arsenal Fan TV and um, some of the, the offshoots that they've had and, 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 you know, things like with other people that shall not be named because I don't feel like getting into it right now, but I feel like we're at a period at a club and as a fan base where um, there needs to be more good discussion and good debate about topics that we all think are important. So I think doing something like where a lot of the bigger accounts and, 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 and bigger websites and, and bigger podcasts come together and have good, friendly, free-flowing discussion debate would be important. I think a lot of people would like to listen to that kind of stuff as well, because usually it's, it's one person goes on as a guest, another person goes on someone else's as a guest, and it's all very kind of uh, a little bit disjointed in that way. But if you all have like one forum to come together like every month to just sit down and have, have, have a chat with everybody and, and just have that available for everyone to listen to, I think that would be a really cool idea. So Michael was, was a big fan of that idea. So we're you know, putting that together and hopefully next week will be the first episode of that. So stay tuned for that. And we're all really excited about it. So. Yep. Yep. We are excited about it and, you know, we will put out more information about it in this coming week. Um, should be a really good time to, to talk about, you know, things in regards to Arsenal, because we have always have tons to talk about and it'll be right off of um, what the, the next game against Olympiacos and our game against, I believe it's like West Ham, you know, so yeah, we have West Ham on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys so much for, for tuning into the podcast and thank you for Neilish and all your great and wonderful questions. We only really directly answered two, but we hope that we answered some of, you know, the other questions that you had within the conversation. Um, again, you know, I have a great and wonderful panel that I, just adore and we have so much fun recording these so we hope you enjoy listening to them as much as we enjoy doing them so drew thank you so much for being here thank you as always good to be with you both and i know michael you left but it's always great to get michael on as well because we all love his rants and i can always envision his face when he's just like veins popping out it's the best part of the show so yeah and thank you so much for being here luke no, thanks as well. It's um, uh, say always have a great time and look forward to the next one. All right, you guys, that's it for the podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on whatever audio platform you're listening to it on. Go ahead and rate us. Give us a give us a five. You know, um, even if you think it's a two, give us a five because that's what we want. And follow us on Twitter for updates. That's where we're going to be talking about the roundtable. So at your my arsenal is the handle, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye, guys.
Kuttenholz, Pires, fantastic! What a way to claim your hat-trick! Pires picking out, Ben Campbell, Ben Campbell with a chance and he's taken it! Brilliant goal! Ten minutes gone, Dennis Bergkamp gives Arsenal the lead! There's a red! Arsenal have won it! Arsenal have won the game! Nobody struck that way! Bellerin. Ramsey with the run from midfield. Aubameyang. Beautifully done. And here's a chance for Arsenal. And to home. It's an Ozil. Great start for the Gunners. A good ball by Dixon. Finding Smith. For Thomas. Charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now! Thomas! Right at the end!